My name is Joel Daly. If we haven't met, I'm the campus pastor, lead pastor here at the West Haven campus. And it's so good to see every week I feel like I see new faces uh, or faces I haven't seen for a while. So it's genuinely uh, such a pleasure to have everyone here today uh, with us to pursue God. And we're in this series, The Shema or the Shema, sorry, not the Shema, the Shema, that's how we would say it if we said it in English, but it is a Hebrew word study, as that slide says, and, and if there's one thing that you need to know about me, it's that I just love where we live. I love that, who else loves where we live here in Utah? Who doesn't? Just kidding, I won't make you answer that. Um, but you know, I, I love it for a lot of different reasons, but one of the biggest reasons I love living here is because of this. This is uh, looking north, if you, that way, up on the trail, uh, Mount Ben Lomond there, and uh, it's just, every time I see these mountains, I never get sick of just looking at them, and sometimes uh, when I'm driving, you know, I just, I'm like, how can this even be this beautiful, right? How can this, this thing is so big, it's so majestic, it's so awesome, you know, I, that's why I'm always swerving in lanes and getting distracted while I'm driving, um, because it's just so beautiful here. Here's another picture, uh, kind of of the Ogden Valley. Uh, Mount Ogden there, you know, but I, I never will get sick of looking at these mountains that we have here in Utah. We're so blessed, and, and I know that there's so many other places in the world that have such incredible beauty and majesty, and every time I, I'm looking at something like this, just so beautiful, so almost, you don't have words to describe it, I think, what about the one who created these things? What about the one who, who made these things uh, to be as beautiful and as majestic as they are? And it wasn't hard for him to do that. That's what we're talking about this morning. That's what we talk about every week. But we're talking about the God that we love. The God that we love. And, and this is, uh, as I said, the Shema. We started this series last week. And this is a prayer that Jewish believers, Israelites, and Christians have prayed for centuries now. And it's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 5. It says, listen, O Israel. This is Moses giving a sermon. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And we're called to pay close attention to this fundamental truth, these fundamental truths about who God is. And last week we looked at this first word, which was, which was listen, which is actually the word Shema. That's what, that's what Shema means. It means to listen. And this week we're going to talk about, well, what are we supposed to be listening to? Well, it's this next phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And in, in a, this is eight words in English. This is four words in Hebrew. And so we're going to unpack what this uh, talks about today. And I just want to say this. This sermon is going to be a lot of theology. A lot of theology. Theology is, is basically the study, understanding God, understanding who God is. So there's going to be uh, terms in here. There's going to be a lot of information. But this is the thing about theology. Good theology sparks response. It's not just about us knowing it, it's about how should we respond to who God is? What, what should we do that, that the God 
that the Lord is God, the Lord alone. What should we do with this? And so we're going to look at that toward the end of the sermon. But the first thing that, that we see from this uh, passage of Scripture is this. There we go. The God we love is eternal and self-existent. The God we love is eternal and self-existent. You know, this, this phrase God here in, in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5. It's translated as, as the, the letters Y-H-W-H. Now, how do you say that? Yahweh. Yahweh. We kind of have to add a couple letters. Y-A-H-W-E-H. And this means to be or to exist. That's what Yahweh means, to be or to exist. It's a name for God. And in fact, it's a name that God gave us Himself. Moses, when he's standing before the burning bush, he says, and God is telling him, go and tell uh, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? We've seen Prince of Egypt, we've seen those movies, let my people go. And Moses says, and, and God says this to Moses, they will ask me, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And this is God's response. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also told Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. So you see in this passage that God is saying, I am who I am. That's what you need to tell Pharaoh who has sent you. But then he says, tell the people of Israel, God's people, that Yahweh, the name that they would know, has sent me to you. And so this is, this is kind of a, a, you know, when you think about it, I am, the I am has sent me, like that doesn't really make sense in our language, right? But I think it, it's such a powerful, God doesn't use all these big words to describe himself. He simply says, I am. I am who I am. <laughs> and this means two things, really. It means that God is eternal, God is eternal. There was never a time where God didn't exist, okay? There, there, he's always been God. He will always be God from eternity past to eternity future. Now, I don't know about you, but I totally understand eternity, right? If you do, talk to me because I'd love to know. I'd love to know because that's one of the things that I always think about. I'm like, how, God? How can, how is, how can that be? Eternity. No beginning, no end. It just, I am. He is. And that's what God's saying about himself. The New Testament actually talks about this. Uh, we looked at Revelation a few weeks ago in our series through Revelation. And this is what God says. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's basically, I'm saying, I'm the A and I'm the Z. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. This is God's, this is God's uh, message to His people. He, he has always been and He always will be. And we, we can't really understand that. We can't fully understand that with our finite minds. But God is infinitely uh, dimensional. He's, he, he's outside of time. He's not constrained by what we're constrained by. And this moves to the second thing that we see, that God is completely self-existent. God is completely self-existent. 
He's not dependent on any other being or any other force for his power, for who he is. He just, he is. He is. He's completely self-existent. We're not self-existent, right? Kids are not self-existent. We would have been gone a long time ago if our parents didn't take care of us. If, you know, we cannot survive on our own. If God ceased to, uh, ceased life, we, we wouldn't be anymore, but he would be. He's completely self-existent. And now, like I said, the, these two things, eternality and self-existence, these are hard things for us to understand. We can't fully grasp them. We can't fully understand what the implications of that is. But I, but I think if you really think about it, you know, a lot of apologists do this. Ravi Zacharias, who just passed away this year, is great. If you haven't listened to any Ravi Zacharias, you need to go to, on YouTube today and look up a Ravi Zacharias talk. He's, he's a million times smarter than I am, and uh, he's, he's just awesome. But, but he talks a lot about apologetics, which is, is defending God. He's defending God. He's proving God through logic. And I think one of the most logical things is that God is eternal and is self-existent. Because what's the alternative? We just keep going back and going back and going back and going back. Trillions, zillions, centazillions of years, right? We keep going back, but what is, what is the source? I think the only, the only sufficient answer for me is that something has to be eternal. It has to be outside of time. And that's, I believe, the God of the Bible, this is the second thing that we see from this passage is that the God we love is the only God there is. The God we love is the only God there is. It says in the, in the Shema that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You know, the book of Deuteronomy is a, is a sermon that Moses gave to the Israelite people before they were going into the promised land, the land that God had, had given them. And he's saying this to them because the land that they're going into had multiple gods, lowercase g gods. These people worshipped all sorts of different gods, and Moses is saying, no, God alone is God. There's no other gods besides him. You know, this kind of made me think of, of this, Oreos. I'll explain. Um... If you've, who, has anyone had an Oreo? Please, everyone, raise your hand, please. If you haven't had an Oreo in the past week, go to the store, buy a pack of Oreos, and eat them, okay? That's, that's your homework, some of your homework for today. But it made me think of Oreos because Oreo is, is objectively the best cookie, Okay? It's so simple, you're like, that's ah, not that good, and then you have it, and it's like phenomenal. But there's so many knockoff Oreos. There's so many counterfeit Oreos that you go to the store, and you're like, oh, this uh, great value one is, is $2 cheaper. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to try this. I'm sure it's about the same. No, it's not. You eat one, and then you throw them the rest away, and then you go back to the store, and you buy Oreos. It's kind of a crude example. I'm not comparing God to Oreos. But I do think that the illustration I'm trying to get through is that God is the only one. There's no imitator. There's no counterfeit. There's no counterfeit to who God is. This is what God says. 
in Isaiah. But you are my wit- or This is what Isaiah says. He says, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. So this is kind of a, this is a big claim, right? Saying that I'm the only God that ever has been, that ever will be. There's, there's no one else. You know, some people say, well, you know, we all worship the same God or God is big enough that the God of the Bible is the same God as other religions. But that's, when you read the Bible, you see that that's not true. That's not, that God doesn't affirm that he is the God of all these other things. He affirms that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say that I'm the God of, of Islam or anything like that, any other religion of the world. You know, the Hebrew, again, so we talked about God being Yahweh, God alone. God alone is actually translated Elohim. That's another name for God, Elohim. And this, this is used over 3,000 times in Scripture. And in fact, in Genesis 1-1, this is the Hebrew word for God, Elohim. And Elohim means the creator, the one and only creator, God. This name, it, it points to the honor and the fullness and the majesty of God and the exclusivity of God and who He is. So in this simple phrase, the, the, the Lord is God, the Lord alone, we see the person of God, Yahweh, who redeems His people. We see Elohim, who's the God who rules the entire universe, everything in existence, this is the one and the same. So I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but you might be asking yourself, well, I've heard of the Trinity. I've heard of the Trinity. What, how, how does that work with Deuteronomy 6? The Lord alone, the one God, right? Because the Trinity is, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of which are fully God. And the truth is, is that there's, really, there's not one verse in the Bible that says God is is, is displayed in three persons and one being. It doesn't say that, but when we, when we take the whole canon of Scripture, all of Scripture together, this is the one that we see the most. And so you read Deuteronomy 6.4, and it doesn't, it doesn't explicitly say, it, it seems like it contradicts, but it doesn't because it actually works with it. Because this is true about the Trinity, that that's what's true of, of one is going to be true of the other. So, for instance... Deuteronomy 6 explains God is eternal. He's uncreated. He's supreme. So if this is the case, this has to be true of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus. Look at what Colossians 1 verse 15 says. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. John 1, the word was with God, the Word was God. Through the Word, the Word could be translated as Jesus. The Holy Spirit in Genesis 1, you see that God's Spirit was, was hovering over the, the waters before the, world's, the world was uh, put into order. All, all of these beings, the Trinity, is, is God. They're all fully God, but they're all distinct persons. Again, just like eternity, if you know 
if you can explain the Trinity to me, please come up and do that afterwards. Because there's definitely something that we can't understand about that. You know, we use all these analogies like the, the H2O, right? H2O can be a, a liquid, a solid, or a gas. But they're all H2O. Um, I am Joel. I can be a son. I'm a husband. And I'm a father. But I'm the same being, right? See, these, these things can help us kind of understand, but we're just scratching the surface of who God is. Because this is the truth. Paul communicates this in, in Romans 11, 33-36. He says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can know Him enough to give Him advice? Who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. You know, I think it's okay to admit, you know, when people say, well, no, God isn't real. We don't have to have every answer to every question that we have. We all have questions. We all have questions. We all struggle with things in our faith. You think back to, to the, the man in, in Mark who was asking Jesus to heal his son who, who had died. And the guy says, Jesus, I know you can do it, but help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. Why would he say that? Well, because we struggle to believe this sometimes. Faith is, is having um, assurance of things unseen. And we struggle as humans to truly believe this at times, to truly believe who God is. But this is the truth, is that if we understood God, if we think we did, not if we actually did, but, but if we think we understand God, guess who's God? Us. We have all the answers. We, we, we don't, you know, nothing gets past us. We have all the answers for all the questions that anyone could have. And when we have that attitude... That's, that's pretty big ego, a lot of pride. There's no humility. But we can't understand God. We can't understand the fullness of who He is. We can't understand the fullness of how much He loves us. And I think that that's, that's a good thing. Because there's a certain mystery with God. There's a certain mystery where we only see a speck of the portrait. God sees the entire painting. He knows everything that's going to happen. We don't, and that's okay. That's why he calls us the God of the universe, the creator, Yahweh, Elohim. That's why he calls us to submit to him, not rely on our own effort, on our own intellect. So that's the theology portion. That's all the information. So our response needs to be this. Our deepest reverence should belong to God alone. Our deepest reverence should belong to God alone. You know, we all have things in this life that, that pull our attention away from God and onto other things. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your favorite sports team. Maybe it's Oreos. Maybe it's, uh, um, maybe it's your appearance. Maybe it's you. For a lot of us, it is us. Right? It's my comfort. It's my looks. It's, it's my health. It's how I feel. 
And all of those things are not bad things. They're not. But this is what Jesus said, and this, this is a pretty, um, pretty convicting verse. Luke 14, 26, he says, Those who come to me cannot be my disciples unless they love me more than they love their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and themselves as well. <clears throat> so this is an isn't an exhaustive list, but, but I would say the, these are the things that we would put before God, generally speaking. These relationships that we have in our lives, which are good. These are good relationships. But what Jesus is saying is that, that he comes first before these other things. He comes first before these other things. That's what God is calling us to. I, I heard this analogy one time. It's like a, it's, think of your life like a totem pole. All of your priorities, all, everything that you care about, everything that you do, everything that you are. Think of it like a totem pole and, and think, what is the order on your totem pole from the base, the foundation, being the most important to the top? And, you know, a lot of us might have God near the bottom of it, but he's not at the foundation. He's not at the base. And this is really something that only we can answer. No one can answer this for us. No one can say, this is the most important thing in your life. Sometimes we don't even know. God knows our hearts better than even we know ourselves. And so we need to ask ourselves, God, what, what am I putting first? What am I putting before you? Again, these things aren't bad. We, we should love our wife and our children and, and our family. And, and it's okay to love your job and have fulfillment out of that. And it's okay to, you know, have fun and spend money. That's Okay. But, but what, what order does God fall within that? So just very practically speaking, you know, what does it look like? We would say here at Alpine, it starts with trusting Jesus. And then it moves to honoring God. And a lot of us can, can get these out of order because we feel like we have to honor God first to earn his favor, to earn his love. But, that, but that's why Jesus, the whole purpose he came was so that we didn't do that because that's legalism. When it doesn't start with Jesus. But honoring God, it, it, we're, not, we're not saved by the things that we do, but we are saved to do good things. It's not by our own effort that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, but beyond that, He does care how we live our lives. And so, so just take a look. We're going to do communion in just a minute, which is a great time to reflect on yourself. But just take a look at your life and say, God... Am I truly giving, if, I, if you've put your faith in Jesus, are you truly giving God first place in your life? And that's a challenging question. You know, it means that you're going to care about His priorities and His, his ways above your own comfort. You're going to seek Him first in decisions. You're going to treat each other with love and respect. That's how God says that we'll be known as his disciples, as if we love the world, if we love each other. Are we doing that? It means that, that our, our time, our, our money, everything is going to be in line with, with God and not with our own satisfaction or gratification. And it means ultimately that we're going to rely on his grace and his mercy, not our own effort 
and intellect. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So as I said, hopefully if, when you walked in, you grabbed one of these little communion cups. If you didn't, um, the ushers can help you get one. But we're going to take communion right now, the Lord's Supper. And what this is, is this is a time to reflect and to remember. First and foremost, to remember what Christ did for us on the cross, that He came to this earth in the fullness, in all His fullness. He came to this earth and He died a sinner's death on the cross. On our behalf. Not to show off, not to do anything like that. But for our behalf, for our sin, for our mistakes, for the things that that we couldn't do or couldn't live up to. And the Bible says that every time we take communion, we're celebrating and proclaiming the Lord's death. What does that mean? Why would we celebrate Jesus dying on the cross? Well, because of the implications it has for those who have put their faith and their trust in Him. For the salvation, because that means that, that you don't have to feel like you have to measure up or do everything right, but that it's all done for you on the cross. So I'm going to invite the worship team forward. Um, we're going to sing one last song. But, but this, this, little, um, this little wafer it represents Christ's body, which was broken for us on the cross. The juice represents His blood, which was spilled for us. Christ's blood on the cross that was spilled for us. And communion is for anyone, if you've put your faith and your trust trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to be a regular attender or an alpiner. But this is a time, it's it's a time to reflect, to remember. It, It doesn't have any implication for your salvation and if you, if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, I just encourage you to really reflect upon what role God has in your life. What role, what Jesus really did as we've talked about today. Because the Bible says that, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's as easy as it is. That seems too good to be true. We feel like we should do more or we have to do more, but that's it. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you can do that right now as I'm praying. And take communion with us this morning. So let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are who you are. God, you are the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God, you laid the foundations of this world. God, this wasn't difficult for you, but you did it, God. You made all this beautiful creation that we have around us, God, but, but the most beautiful thing you made, what made you the most pleased was making us. God, each one of us unique, each one of us completely loved by you. And God, so I pray that we would reflect upon your power and your majesty 
this morning as we take communion, but also your grace and your mercy, God, that we would remember who you are, what you've done through Jesus. Lord, and that we would take a look at ourselves, God, at at what we're doing, how we're living. God, does our lives truly reflect the gift that we've received? Not because we have to earn your favor, God, but because you paid such a high price for us. God, that should be our response is to honor you. And we're not going to be perfect in that. We're going to still continue to rely on your grace. We're going to still continue to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, but we do know, Lord, there are things, there are responsibilities that that you put upon us, God, in this life. And so I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would help us to honor you in everything that we do, God. Lord, if there's anyone in here maybe who who hasn't made a decision, who, who's still seeking out, who's still wondering just who you are. Lord, that in this moment that you would meet them exactly where they're at, God, because no one in here is here by accident. Everyone is here for a purpose. God, so soften all of our hearts. Give us a clear picture of who you are and give us the courage and the strength to change what we need to change in our lives. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.